Hi everyone, welcome to the Reitzel Brothers Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Curtis. We are the co-hosts of this podcast. We are investor-focused realtors working with our clients to help them build massive wealth in real estate. This is a place where we talk about real estate investing, wealth, and giving back. Make sure to check us out on YouTube and join our private real estate investor group on Facebook called the Tri-City Real Estate Investor Club. Links are in the description. Enjoy this episode. What's going on, you guys? All right, so we are going to be posting Jeff Reitzel's Millionaire Real Estate Investor Workshop in parts and releasing it over the next few episodes here. And then we're going to post the full investor workshop that he did. We thought might as well. We have posted content like this similar in the past, but we thought, hey, you know, he drops so many nuggets of wisdom and just so many amazing points in the workshop, some stories and how he built his wealth and how he got a new philanthropy and donating uh, and and life and everything in between. We cover a lot. So we thought might as well post all these episodes onto the podcast and we're going to do it very quickly over the each day and then we're going to post the full the full podcast episode. So either way, I'm going to stop talking because uh, I want I want you to get into the Jeff content here, but I really trust you enjoy it. Have a great day and uh, all the best. Bye. So my boys, we were on a cruise recently. And actually, this is a couple years ago now. And I was telling my boys that money actually doesn't exist. Well, it kind of does. But you can just, it's all made up. And you can create money out of thin air. Because it doesn't exist. And if you want some, you can just go create it. You can go to work and, and uh, spend an hour of your time and make 30 bucks. You can do that too. You can also just create money out of thin air. And Josh said, I don't believe you. Give me an example. And I said, okay, we're having dinner right now. And... I said, there's an empty plate in front of you. What do you think it's worth? And he said, well, I don't know, like a couple dollars. And I said, maybe $5, that plate's worth. Now, let's say Barack Obama was sitting beside us and he went, scribbled on it. Now, what's that plate worth? And my son said, well, I don't know. I said, well, you can't use it anymore, so it should be worth nothing. You can use it, but you probably won't because Barack Obama signed it. That's probably worth $575 is what that plate is now worth. So where'd the money come from? I don't know, where did that money come from? I have no idea where the money came from. Did it come from somewhere? You have now something that you could sell for $575 that you just created out of thin air because it doesn't exist. And my son went, how do we get like Barack Obama to sign some plates? <laughs> you know, like, how do we do that? You know, that's crazy. It's not, it's not really there. It's created. If you own a semi-detached house right now and you bought it on Bankside for $350,000 last year and it's now worth $400,000, where did that $50,000 come from? Did the bank go print more money? They didn't, but now your house is worth 50000 Who else's semi is now worth $50,000 more? Next. The next door and the next door and the next door and every other semi in the city. So where did the money come from? It didn't. It's just created. And that, that's cool. What's cool about it is some of us think that there's this much money in the world, and if Jeff has that much, then I can't get any. Right? He, he's, got, he's got four rental properties, so those are four that I can't get anymore. It just isn't so. There's a... The, there's enough out there for all of us times, times a thousand. So it's good news. Um, number three about risk and investing. It's true if you look at the, the dictionary, it says that there's no risk in investing. There's risk in everything. The type of real estate investing we're talking about, specifically that I'm talking about, is buying a house or an apartment building or a duplex and renting it to a nice person. That's the type of investing I'm talking about. 
I'm not talking about buying up land between here and Guelph, hoping that this, that the zoning changes and houses can be built. That's that you could look at that as investing, but that's that's speculating. And if you have deep enough pockets, you can go speculate in a whole bunch of areas. But what's the return? If you bought a, a vacant piece of or a farmland between Kitchener and Guelph, how much money are you making on that every month? Probably nothing. You, maybe there's a farmer on it that's still paying you something to grow his crops on it, but you're, you're definitely losing money every single month for the last 40 years, likely. But if you bought a whole bunch there and then also bought the two farmlands where the Sunrise Center is and you know, where Iron Needles Boulevard, all the, the, if you're doing stuff everywhere and you go, okay, well, three of them are gonna work out and seven of them are, that's okay if you have deep enough pockets to do that. Speculating is not the type of real estate I'm talking about. Maybe you get to a point where you can speculate or want to. Myth number four, successful investors are able to time the market. The truth is in successful investing, the timing finds you. You just can't be a secret investor. You need to let everybody know you're thinking of investing in real estate or that you do. You're gonna to listen to all of the naysayers out there and that's okay. Just don't, just don't listen to them. Most of them aren't even valid to speak because they either have never invested in real estate. Most of the time it's just somebody that, that had a friend, that had a cousin, that had a lawyer, that had a client, that mm -hmm. a tenant ruined the property. That, and then it's, now you shouldn't invest in real estate. Or it's somebody that bought a property 25 years ago, didn't buy the right property, had a bad experience, and now you should never invest in real estate as well. If you want advice on investing in real estate, go find real estate investors out there, people that own real estate. If you want advice on the mutual fund market, go find people that, that invest in the mutual fund market. But make sure the person you're talking to is valid. You need to ask, you need to ask three questions deep. Don't just, because I find the ones that are talking don't have anything. Like they literally have never invested in real estate, but they're thinking about it. You know, and they're telling you about this duplex deal over here and this triplex and the single family. And then when you drill down, they've never owned anything, but they're fixing to someday, you know? It's like, okay. We just don't listen to, you can't listen to anything that they say because they're not valid. Now, if you talk to another investor, he goes, well, I've owned a duplex for five years and, or two years and here my experience, well, listen to that person. They're, they're valid, you know? Myth number five, all the good investments are taken. I hear this one a lot. I just bought one yesterday and did an offer on another one on Sunday that's, that's in sign back. But I hear this all the time in this market, well, all of the good investments are taken. They are if you think they are. They're not if you think they're not. And you might just have to look at things a little bit differently, right? You might be used to buying <clears throat> townhouses on XYZ Drive. And now those townhouses are 550,000 and the rents haven't caught up yet, so that doesn't make sense right now. Maybe you need to just look at a different product within the same market. Maybe it's a duplex you need to look at, or a duplex conversion, or a triplex conversion. You might just need to look at the market that you're in a little bit differently. Or, at times, you need to go to a different market. If you're downtown Toronto and nothing makes sense, maybe it does in Milton, or maybe it does in Mississauga, or maybe it does in, in London. I'm a big fan of investing where you are if you can, but you may have to go to different areas. And going to different areas isn't going to Detroit. I'm a, I'm a huge Detroit fan. But it's not going to Detroit just because houses are $45,000 in Detroit. That's not reason enough to go somewhere else. I remember going down there five years ago with a, a real estate investor that, that I respect in the States just to look at, at properties there in a couple of the suburbs. And she said, Jeff, it's great. You know, 85% of our tenants are Section 8. And I didn't know what that was at the time. So I said, what's Section 8? She goes, they're on welfare. We get paid directly from the government. And I went, that's really bad. 
if 85% of the tenants here are on Section 8, that's really bad. No, it's really good. No, it's really bad. Because the $45,000 house I'm paying $45,000 for is going to be worth $44,000 next year. And then $44,000 the next year. And then $42,000 the next year. That's, what's, that's what happens in those type of economies. And then I started driving by boarded up schools everywhere. And I went, yikes, this is not good at all. And you can't... <laughs> You can't, what I learned is you can't put a forensic sign on, on, on a property because the copper and wiring disappears the night you put a forensic sign on because they know the property's vacant. I go, wow, like this is not good. And I said, I'll just say her name was Susan. I said, Susan, what happens when you need a new roof on, on this property? You know what happens? You put a tarp on it because you can't spend $15,000 on a roof on a $42,000 house. And when a window breaks, you put a board in. And that's just what's going to that's just what's going to continue to happen until something changes in some of these areas. So she just looked at it from a cash flow perspective and then went, the cash flow is really good, and that's that's okay if that's what you're looking for, and it's enough cash flow, then then maybe. But I I like to invest in an area where the property has the potential of going up. Not that it will for sure, but there's at least indicators that the economy is is more than Section Eight. So money is good for the good it can do in you. If you've known me for any length of time, you'll hear me say this all the time. It's, to me, the purpose of money. Money is good for the good it can do. I have every, everything about money to me is completely positive. Many of us grew up and it was the root of all evil and, and blah, blah, blah. It's just very positive to me because money can do wonderful things. So can you, but, but so can money. So this was my very first trip to Ghana, Africa. And this was in, in the summer of 2013. I woke up one day in the spring of 2013 and just started questioning all kinds of things in my life. My wife called it a midlife crisis, but I said I'm only a third way through my life, so it can't be a midlife crisis. Um, but I questioned everything, you know, from, from why am I here to why do I believe in this religion? Why do I eat the way I do? Just, just why? And I think it was good I started questioning things. So my friend Sam Welton, who run, who's the Executive Director of Possibilities International, I donate, I was with him today for a couple hours. I donated money to his charity for years. Like I'd, I'd sponsor a kid to go to school or somebody to build a well in a community, whatever. But that's all I'd done is just donated money. And he posted a trip for Ghana, Africa. And I went, oh, I've always wanted to see elephants and giraffes and lions and all that stuff. I've only ever seen cockroaches, but that was kind of my vision of Africa, right? It's just safaris and all this stuff. So I signed up for my, for my first trip and then asked my wife if I could go and she said yes. <laughs> it's a good because I already paid for it. So that, that first trip that I was there, uh, the first five or six days I didn't sleep for a single moment the entire time I was there. I was awake for five solid days. So a lot of coffee but it would, and Diet Coke, but it was, um, what, what affected me the most was every area I went was a different level of poverty. What affected me more than the poverty, though, was how happy every, everybody, almost everybody was in every area that we went. It just, it just was so foreign to me. It, didn't make, it just didn't make sense how they, like, they live on garbage, like burning garbage dumps. Gleefy is a burning garbage dump. It's half the size of Kitchener, and it's, a garbage, it's where our garbage goes, our e-waste and all of that stuff. And it's always on fire. It's just burning 24 hours a day. Everybody there dies of, they don't know, it's cancer, that they die of from breathing and all of this stuff. And everybody's happy. And when they, of course, not everybody, but compared to us here, everybody's happy. The, the rural villages that we go to, which I think I, I don't know if I have a picture of a rural village here. I don't. Where everybody has the same mud hut and straw roof, 
those are my favorite places to, to, to visit because they genuinely are happy that their needs are all met. They, they have a sense of community and food. There's not a single electronic. There's no running. There's no electricity anywhere. And it's just that nobody's told them they shouldn't be happy. And they should be. They're, they're fine. Yet I come back here and we're on anxiety medication and we're spending three hours a day driving to Toronto to go to our jobs. And, and I went, what, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Maybe there's some truth to less is more. That's one of the things my, you know, my mom taught me when I was growing up is you should be happy with what you have. And you know, I, I agree to that to, to, some, to some degree. And I'll talk about that in a second. This here was the, one of the orphanages that I went to. Um, a William, a little boy there, I went to the Coca-Cola bottling company of, of Ghana and I bought bottles of glass Coke for all the kids. They were like a dollar. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. It was 50 bucks in Coke. And William's walking around with this Coke for the whole day. And I said, William, are you going to drink that Coke? And he said, well, no, I, I'd like to just wait. And I said, oh, come on, let's go, let's go talk. So he said, um, last Christmas, that's what he got for Christmas was a bottle of Coke. So it was that meaningful to him, this bottle of Coke. To me, it was just a drink. To him, it was like Christmas morning again. These children here have all been abused, abandoned, thrown in ditches. It's most of their stories. That's where they come from. And if you went up to Ebenezer and said, Hey, Ebenezer, how are you doing? He would go, I'm blessed and highly favored. That's how they talk to you. And it's just, they found him in a ditch eight weeks ago. And he's telling me he's blessed and highly favored to be here. And I went, wow. Like, it was just such big stuff.